Welcome to the Hills. You may be watching me at Southlake Campus or West Fort Worth Campus. You may be watching online. Thank you for joining us today. I want you to allow me to take just a moment at the beginning of this message and share a word about a man that I know a lot of you do not know. This past week, John Jones passed away. John was the senior teaching pastor of this church for about 14 years before I came. He then served our church in other ministry roles. He served as an elder. He served in a ministry called Bread for a Hungry World, starting an orphanage in Honduras, working with refugees camps around the world. He was a great, great man. But the thing that I'll remember the most is that the constant and current church wisdom is, if you follow a great man as a pastor... It's best if he would just leave so there's no tension or uh, divided loyalty in the church. That just didn't happen here. For over 20 years, I had the joy of preaching every week with John out in the auditorium. He was my biggest fan. He was my greatest cheerleader. And uh, I loved him in a deep, deep way. We stand on the shoulders of some great men and women in our church that a lot of you don't even know. And one of them is a man named John Jones, and he receives his reward. And I want you to know the day will come that somebody will take my place, and I'm going to be as good to that person as John Jones was to me. So, thank you for letting me have that moment just to tell you a little bit about him. So, we're in this series called Kingdom Come. We're looking at statements of Jesus why he came. Now, have you ever gone somewhere and you're not sure why you went? You ever been to a place, maybe a party or maybe a movie and it hits you? What am I doing here? Or maybe you had that awkward feeling of stepping into a situation and you had no good reason to be there. When I was in graduate school, I was also preaching at the time. And uh, before one of my classes, I wanted to go to the restroom. It was on a hall with about 40 college students locked outside their computer lab. I walked past them. I walked right into the bathroom. My first thought is, when did they put a lounge in the men's bathroom? And then on the other side of the door, I heard female voices. And I knew immediately, I've just walked in the girls' bathroom in front of 40 people. Now, I had two choices. I could stay there and avoid embarrassment, but I would risk imprisonment. So I chose embarrassment. And I walked out, and there's no good way to explain why I walked in. I couldn't say, well, I wanted to invite them to a Bible study. You know, I just had to admit I'm an idiot, and I have no good reason to be here. And we've all had those memories of times where we go somewhere, and we don't know why we're there. I'm not sure that ever happened to Jesus. He always knew exactly why he came. His life started on mission, it stayed on mission, and it ended on mission. And when Jesus was on the cross, he never wondered what he was doing there. So we're looking at the statements of Jesus. Why did he come? We're going to revisit a statement we saw several weeks ago in Mark 10. And Jesus said, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And we talked about that, that he came to serve. But now we're going to finish the statement. For the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. And that verb give is very important. 
I think we all agree Jesus died. Even people that don't believe he's the son of God admit Jesus was crucified by Roman soldiers. But we don't believe his life was taken. We believe his life was given. In fact, Jesus said in John 10, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. This is one of the most important things to know about Jesus, that Jesus' death was Jesus' choice. His crucifixion did not take him by surprise. It wasn't a plan gone wrong. It wasn't Jesus thinking, I never thought it would turn out this way. He wasn't the unwilling victim of a plot he could not control. He was in total control of a plan he would not change. Jesus understood he was born to die. That's why he came. Look at how the Hebrew writer puts it in chapter 10. And that is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you've given me a body to offer. You are not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, Look, I've come to do your will, O God, as is written about me in the Scriptures. Two phrases stand out. You've given me a body to offer. As is written about me in the scriptures. You see, again, I want to come back to the fact that Jesus chose death to complete a redemption plan that was conceived in the mind of God before he was ever conceived in the womb of a woman. After his resurrection, he's walking with these two men on a road to a town called Emmaus. And they're confused. They thought Jesus was the Messiah, but he got crucified. And he said, what? Have you not read that the Christ must suffer these things? And starting with Moses, Jesus just walked them through the prophets. This was always the plan. That he came, that he was born to die. There's a famous painting called Shadow of Death by an English artist named Holman Hunt. And in his painting, you'll notice Jesus is in the carpenter shop before his public ministry. Long day of work, he's stretching his arms. And the shadow looks like he's on a cross. In fact, his hands are up against a tool rack that looks like are nailed there. And the point of the painting was that the shadow of his death was always over Jesus. He knew it was coming. He knew why he came. Now, you're saying everyone knows they're going to die. That's true. And there are many people that have chosen to die for good causes. That's true. Here's the difference. They're going to die whether they choose to be a martyr or not. You can choose to give your life for somebody, but whether you do or not, you're going to die. The question for you is not if you're going to die, but how you're going to die. But for Jesus, it really was a question. Will I choose to die? Your death is a necessity. Your death is an inevitability. But Jesus' death was a loving act of humility. Philippians chapter 2. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. 
even death on a cross. So we're going to wrestle today with one of the most important questions you will ever hear. Why did Jesus choose to go to a place he did not have to go? And I'm going to give you three reasons, and I'm going to start with the most important. That he gave his life to pay our debt for us. And I mention this first because of its first importance. And those are Paul's words, not mine. In 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance. That Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, that he was buried... That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is what we call the gospel. The core of our marriage and our belief system is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But I want you to notice the Bible never says he was raised for our sins. No, he was raised to prove that God was satisfied with the payment for our sins. But it says clearly Christ died for our sins. So for about the next five minutes, you're going to hear some really important preaching. And we're going to face head on what Paul calls the offense of the cross. And when you talk to people around the world who find the Christian religion offensive or scandalous, it always comes back to this. Why did Jesus have to die? And why do you say he did it for my sins? And there are those who take the God is not that holy offense. In other words, I don't see why God can't just get over it. I I just don't think a loving God would send anybody to hell because they sinned some. Which, by the way, side point. God doesn't adapt his godness to line up with what you think. Okay, maybe you need to adapt what you think to line up with his godness, okay? And just because sin doesn't bother you that much doesn't mean it isn't a big deal to God. But that's how some are offended. God's not all that holy. And then others, well, people aren't all that bad. And here's how they're offended. Well, I should get to heaven because I've been a good person. It offends me to think that because I've made a few mistakes, I shouldn't get to go to heaven. And so God is not all that holy and people are not all that bad. And finally, Jesus is not all that necessary. And here's how it plays out. Jesus is a good man. But there's a lot of good men and a lot of ways to God. Good ways. It is offensive to tell me that Jesus is the only way to get to God. So let's play this out. If God is not all that bothered by sin. And if people are not all that bad. And if... Jesus' exclusive claims are not all that true. Why did he die? If sin's not a big deal, if people are basically good, and if there's lots of paths to God, why did God let him, why did God send him to a cross? You see, the consistent witness of the scriptures is that Jesus came to be a sin offering that would make a way for people to be right with God. That sin separates us from a holy God. And yes, God is that holy. And sin is a big deal. He sits on a throne and there are angels around him and they chant 
holy, holy, holy. And because he is pure light and holiness, sin cannot be in his presence. It separates you from God. And when you are separated from God, there is a consequence. The wages of sin is death. It's not so much God is penalizing you. It's just the inevitability. If you are separated from the only source of life, you will die. And God cannot change his godness. God cannot lie through his character and say it can be any other way. That's why the word blood is found over 300 times in the Bible. Because life was in the blood. And so blood was necessary to show that there has been a death because of sin so that God would not have to lie or distort or deny his holiness. And so the Hebrew writer says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Sin separates you from God. God cannot ignore it. God cannot wink at it. God cannot say it's no big deal. Death must happen. There must be payment. And Jesus going to the cross was God's way of saying, and I'll pay it. You see, the essence of sin is you put yourself where only God deserves to be. And the essence of salvation is that God put himself where only you deserve to be. And so religion says there are lots of paths to God. We'll give you the tools to build a bridge to reach God. But Christianity says only God can build the bridge. Only God can pay for the bridge. And only God can choose to give you free access to that bridge. So we're going to sum up the gospel in Romans chapter 3. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes. No matter who we are, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. How does He do this? Listen close. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. The same verse in another version God sent him to die in our place to take away our sins. This is how Peter puts it He personally carried our sins in his body. On the cross. You remember when he's dying there. And the critics taunt him. And say he saved others. He can't save himself. That was exactly heaven's dilemma. Jesus could have saved himself. And come down off the cross. But he could only save you. By staying on it. If I sound passionate. I want you to know that I am. Say well I'm offended by the message of the cross. Heaven is offended that you would think that God let it happen and it wasn't necessary. Heaven is offended that you would have a view of God that would say he would let his son go through that, but he didn't really need to. 
A hundred years ago, there was a well-known preacher named Harry Ironside, and he gave an illustration. In his day, there was a tragic train wreck. A commuter train had stalled. A freight train was coming down the same track. And the people on the commuter train were told, just stay there. We're signaling the other train to stop. But the train didn't stop, plowed into the commuter train, and many lives were lost. They tried to understand why. In those days, they didn't have modern communication technology. They used flags. And you would wave a red flag to tell the train to stop. So they asked the engineer, why didn't you stop the train? He said, because they waved a yellow flag telling me to slow down. So they went and found that flag. And it had been red, and the sun and the weather had caused it to fade, and it looked yellow. And Ironside would say, be wary of a yellow gospel. It leads to death. A gospel that doesn't need blood. A gospel that doesn't need the sacrifice of Jesus. And as long as God gives me breath and I preach at this or any other church, you will never hear me preach anything but a red gospel. Jesus went to the cross to pay our debt for us. The only bridge that reaches God is sprinkled with the blood of His Son. Jesus knew exactly why He had come. Now this is of first importance. And it shapes everything else about our lives that is important. Okay? Because He went to that cross. He gave His life to show the way for us. Now, the cross is more than an example, but it's not less than an example. Because Jesus' choice to give his life informs and inspires all our choices. Paul put it like this in Galatians 2. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Here's what he's saying. I am now called to live The crucified life. Because Jesus gave his life for me. Because Jesus made that choice. I now must make all my choices consistent with him. It affects everything. How about race relations? Paul says in Ephesians 2... That the cross has torn down the wall of hostility between the races, bringing together one community of faith. You cannot be a racist and live a crucified life. What about your sexuality? The culture says you spend it, you use it any way you want. The scripture says you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. 1 Corinthians 6.10 You cannot use your sexuality any way you want and live a crucified life. You ever been hurt by somebody? Scripture says you forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave you. You have to treat the people that have hurt you with love and mercy because you are called to the crucified life. Marriage, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, Ephesians 5.25. You see, every single big part of your life is shaped by the choice of Jesus to give his life for you. 
Paul put it like this in Ephesians 5, 2. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. One of my favorite all-time illustrations of that is a man named uh, Uwe Homer. Now, he was a minister in East Germany when the communists ruled. He had a lot of kids, and they tried and tried and tried to go to university, and they were never accepted because Eric Honecker was the communist puppet in charge of communist East Germany, and his wife Margot was the head of Department of Education. They would never let his kids go to university. Then the wall fell. East Germany became a part of the greater Germany. The Honeckers were deposed, kicked out of their palace with nowhere to go. And guess where they wound up? For 10 weeks, they lived in the home of Uwe Homer. And when asked why he would take them in, he explained that he followed Jesus. And he followed a a Savior that gave his life for him. He must give his life for others. We are dying to love people. Because Jesus did. But you can't give what you've never received. And the most constant accusation the enemy ever makes is that we can't count on the love of God. Why did Jesus choose a cross? To pay our debt for us. To show the way for us. And one more huge reason. He gave his life to prove God is for us. You know, in my four decades of being a pastor, I have learned something. For most people, it's easier to believe in the miracles of God than it is to believe in the love of God. Many of you right now, if I asked you, do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? You'd say yes. Do you believe he walked on water? You'd say yes. Do you believe he rose from the dead? You'd say yes. And then if I asked you, do you believe that God is absolutely in love with you? You'd say, I'm not sure. And I think the reason is because all the other love we experience at some level is conditional. Now, we learn this early. I mean, when we are babies, we learn. People love you because they see something in you they like. And the more they see something in you they like, the more they love you. And so why wouldn't God be the same way? And there's so much in me that God must not like. It's hard for us to understand that God doesn't love us based on our nature. He loves us based on His nature. And so God thought, what can I do to make it absolutely clear that I am for them? And God said, The way I can tell them that I will always have their back is I will put their sin on Jesus' back. Look at these verses. Romans 5, 8. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. 1 John 4, 10. This is what real love is. It's not our love for God. It's God's love for us. He sent His son to die in our place to take away our sins. You see what he's saying? 
What more can heaven do to tell you God is for you? When I read these verses in our first service, people just started clapping. You know why? They're old people, and they know they're close to heaven. And this is really, really good news. And most of you are young people. You ought to be clapping too. Because God is saying, as clearly and as loudly as heaven can say it, I am for you. This is my favorite verse, Romans 8. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Those are my four favorite words in the Bible. God is for us. If he wouldn't spare his son, what else must he do to say, I am for you? Think about those four words. God. The Holy One, the Almighty One, who sits on a throne and the angels just worship Him. That's who we're talking about. God is, not maybe, not used to be, but right now. God is for, not neutral, not still deciding, not waiting for you to get your act together. God is for us, not some of us. Not the best of us, but all of us. God is for us. And our confidence in the love of God can be as firm as the cross on which Jesus gave his life. A moment ago, you sang it better than I'm preaching it. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end of all my sin because my sinless savior died my sinful soul was counted free for god the just is satisfied to look at him and pardon me and when i look at god's love through the lens of the cross i don't doubt anymore yes life gets hard But when life's hard trials come, I don't think, is God against me? Is God mad at me? Is God judging me? No. I look at the cross. God is for me. Even in this hard time, God is for me. And when I mess up, and I do mess up, I don't hide and cower. I go tell God. I can tell God anything because he's for me. And when I come to my final lap, I don't have to be afraid. God is for me. Jesus went to the cross so I would never have to wonder. God is for me. There's a man named John Bruce. He was a federal judge appointed by Ulysses S. Grant. He was on his deathbed. He told his daughter, fetch the book. She got his Bible. He had her open to Romans 8. And she put it on these words. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons. Neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. That is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he said to his daughter, put my finger on those words. And that's how he died. 
with his finger on the promise of God that he would never turn his back on his child because he put his sins on the back of Jesus. My friend John Jones knew that promise and died that way without fear. And you know what? Someday, it might be in five years or 10 or 25 or 30, the Lord knows. Somebody will stand up in this room and it'll be full of people that never knew me. And they'll say, he was our pastor here once. Some of you remember him, a lot of you don't. But know this much. He died believing that Jesus died for his sins. And he wasn't afraid. He was eager to meet his God. That's why Jesus went to the cross. He never wondered what he was doing on the cross. He knew why. And you don't have to wonder. Because friend, you were the reason why. Would you bow your heads with me? And so, Father, I pray for you, the anointing of your spirit over this message. Because this is a teaching that needs to go deep within us. It doesn't matter to me if they remember where they heard it or who taught it. But it matters a lot that they remember. They remember that Jesus gave his life for us. That our sin has been covered in blood. That your love has been offered and will not be taken back. That's what matters, God. Somebody needs this word today. Somebody who's lonely, wonders if they've been forgotten. Somebody who's despairing and feels like hope is gone. Somebody who feels so guilty and so ashamed of what they've done recently. And they're all wondering the same thing. Does God love me? And so, Holy Spirit, anoint this teaching. Take it to deep places in the soul. Comfort, challenge, inspire, console. Convince hearts of your love. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for choosing the cross. Thank you for choosing us. Help us this week to live like people that cannot be the same if they really believe what we've heard today. For Jesus' glory and in his name we pray this. Amen.